good to be the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, good to see you guys' faces. It <laughs> seems like a familiar thing. <laughs> but uh, I see you guys, uh, you know, didn't have a problem with me coming back, so that's a good thing. <laughs> didn't get kicked out yet. <laughs> but uh, I just thank God for uh, you guys. Um, you know, you guys are a very special part of my family and our lives, you know, to be able to come down and minister the word with you guys. You guys have such a rich church. Um, you know, it's just a blessing to be here. Your, your pastor, he's uh, just an excellent teacher and a preacher, and we just thank God for him, you know, and what God has instilled in him, the ministry of preaching. Um, I, I thank the Lord for, uh, you know, this time of season. We're in the Advent season, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's a good time this time of season just to remind us of, uh, of Christ and how he came. Uh, I just want to thank God for my wife also for um, coming with me as always and sticking there with me, <laughs> keep me intact and, <laughs> and keep me on point there. <laughs> Sometimes we've been like the, you know, we get astray and we need, need somebody to help us, I had to come alongside us to help me. <laughs> so I uh, just thank God for uh, her and my children, Benjamin, Gabrielle, and Elizabeth also. They, Probably waiting to get their treat after church. I got to bribe a little. <laughs> a little one already told me, like, are we going to go to Wagmans and get some ice cream? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Daddy got to keep his promises. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's good to see my wife's friend Ashley here this morning. Thank God for you. Um, but uh, I won't hold you long this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. The book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We'll, 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 you know, we'll start in um, chapter 8. We'll read verses 20, 21 and 22, and then we'll read chapter 9, verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 7. So that's Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, and then Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Amen. When you found it, say amen. Amen. Excuse me. Amen. The word of the Lord reads in chapter 8 of Isaiah, verses 20. 21 and 22. And they shall pass through it, hardly be stead and, and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness and anguish. And they shall be driven of, to darkness. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Though thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy, the joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice, they did divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. 
The every for every battle of war of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be the burning and fuel of fire. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just allowing us to come in before your presence. Thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to come out to your house, Lord, to worship you. Father, there's many that have come today, Lord, for many different reasons, Lord. Lord, there's many burdens on our hearts, Lord, many things that are crossing our minds. Father, we pray that you just take control of this service, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you forgive us of sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help me, Lord, to proclaim your word in truth and with power and might. We pray, Lord, that you would do a work in our lives, Lord. Help us to see what you would have us to see this morning. Pray that it fall on good ground, Lord, and not stony soil. Prepare these hearts of ours, Lord, to receive what it is you have for us. We'll be ever so careful to give you the praise and thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And use it for a title this morning, uh, Four Reasons to Rejoice at Christmas. <clears throat> As I, this week when I, um, I was at work and all, and uh, I, I heard many people say many different things, uh, you know, passing through. I heard this one lady, she was saying, I hate this time of year. This is terrible. <laughs> you know, they got all this traffic on the road, and oh, I can't stand these holidays. And I heard one guy, he said, you know, I, I hate this time of year. And I asked him why. He says, this is a time of year that my mother died, and it just reminds me of, of how she died, and, you know, uh, I just can't stand this time of year. And then I, I even heard a Christian say, you know, I hate this time of year. And I said, oh, why is that? And he said, because the consumerism has took over, and, you know, it's, it's just all about happy holidays, and, you know, it's getting gifts and, you know, it just kills the real meaning of Christmas. I just hate it this time of year. And there's many reports that say that this is one of the most stressful times of the year, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> because people are ripping and running and trying to get gifts and, you know, thinking about what they can't get. And people start to reflect on their financial means and, and people start to reflect on all type of different things that come across in their life, and, and they get discouraged. And instead of rejoicing, people just get stressed out. And people don't have anything to do with Christmas. And, you know, many people say, well, okay, happy holidays. You know, that's what it is, just happy holidays, because Christmas has no more meaning anymore. There's no time of rejoicing. 
But we know as Christians is that this time of year is a special time. A time where we can reflect on uh, the goodness of God and how he uh, sent his son into this broken and damaged world. And how it gives us light and hope uh, to keep going on in this world. So uh, Isaiah, he picked up his pen and we know that Isaiah was a prophet of God and he could see into the future things that uh, normally a person could not see. God will reveal things to the prophet and he would proclaim it for the Lord. So we see the book of Isaiah. The name Isaiah is it means the Lord is salvation. It wasn't by coincidence that this book was named that after him and he was the writer of this book. So we see here is that when Isaiah wrote this book, he, he wrote it in the, in the form that because the children of Israel, they were going through their cycle again. God had brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. And they were there full of milk and honey, uh, a land of promise that they, he had promised their forefathers. And while they were in this land, they were supposed to be there as a light to all the surrounding nations. They were supposed to be the head and not the tail. They were supposed to be uh, the forerunners for God. And, and they were to be uh, the model people, the chosen people of God. And they were to serve God. But through sin, they uh, slipped away from serving the almighty God. And God told them back in Deuteronomy what would happen to them if they sinned against him. And that he would destroy the nation in a sense and he would uh, put them in bondage. So we see here is that and then Isaiah day, Isaiah was preaching and te uh, telling the people is that, look, you cannot continue in sin and think that you're going to receive God's blessings. But the nation was so proud and so pompous and, and just so arrogant <clears throat> that they thought that, you know, we're the chosen children of God. God has given us all this. Uh, you know, the many historians uh, look back and they see how Solomon's temple were, was so rich in gold and he was so wealthy. And, and Israel was uh, uh, something to look upon as like, wow, other nations will look at them and say, wow, this is a great nation. They have riches and, and honor and glory, and they have their God protecting them. You know, you, we know how he brought them across that Red Sea, and, and we know how he, he brought them into this promised land, and he wiped out other nations, and, and th their God is awesome. He's powerful. And they were standing there with their heads lifted high, and their chests poking out, and, and they were so proud of being the chosen people. But they forgot that God will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from God. They chose a sinful nature in serving Baal. The surrounding communities around them and the people, uh, they were idol worshipers. And Israel uh, began to worship those idols. They began to mingle among the people and marry uh, unbelievers and, and, and pagan worshipers, and then they would bring that pagan worship into their homes, and, and, and they would worship Baal, and they would worship sticks and, and stones and, and all type of different things, and, and God was upset with them because God said that he would have no other before him. 
And we as Christians have to make sure that we don't allow those things to slip into our lives. We like to watch TV, <laughs> many shows that come on that are ungodly, uh, many conversations that uh, come into our lives from our peers and our co-workers and, and many others, and, and we embrace those things. And then we start to become like them or like it or like that show or like that music. And you see, we have to protect our hearts. Uh, the proverb writer says, guard your heart with all diligence, for in it is the issues of life. The children of Israel, they forsook the Lord. They forgot all the good that God had done for them. And Isaiah, God even sent the prophet to tell them, look, you have to leave your wicked ways and come back to serving the living God. But as I said before, they were so proud. We're the chosen people. God loves us. We're all right. We got this. And eventually Isaiah continued to preach to them. And, and eventually the nation was split from the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, uh, they were up by Assyria and up by Babylon in that area. And they were the first uh, a part of the nation to fall. Because they are, they are, most of their kings were wicked. In the southern kingdom, they were more righteous than the northern. But Isaiah was sent to preach to the southern kingdom. And as he was preaching to them, he was telling them that, look, guys, the northern kingdom is going to fall. And you're going to be next. If you continue to live the way that you're living, God is going to continue to judge you. And eventually, the southern kingdom, you're going to fall. So Isaiah, they call him the eagle-eyed prophet because he was so precise with his uh, prophetic, uh, uh, his, his prophetic um, claims is that he, he could see things and God would show him things that, uh, that, he, um, that he wanted them to know. And the people were upset with him, like, why are you saying all these things? Don't you know that we're the chosen people? But Isaiah was saying, yes, you're the chosen people, and that's why I'm telling you is that you can't walk away from the Lord your God and think that you're going to continue to get blessings and blessings and blessings. That's not the way it works. So Isaiah wrote to them, and he was telling them right here in verses 9, he says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as such that was in her vexation when, after her, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan of Galilee. He was talking about how that when they would go into bondage is that, look, God has already afflicted your brothers and sisters in the north and you're going to be next. And he's saying yours is not going to be as hard as they are. But he's saying that you will be next. And he says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. But then he also moves into this mode of how he's letting them know that even though you're going into bondage and even though that um, God's judgment is coming down upon you, there's going to be some light here in the situation. He says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light that, that dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them have the light shine. Thou hast multiplied the nation. And not increase the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy of harvest. And them that rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. He's letting him know that, look, just like in the day of Midian, you remember when Gideon was there and, and God was uh, going to deliver the nation from their oppressors and he used Gideon and his men and, and, and we know the story that Gideon had so many men that were coming with him and God kept dwindling them down. Like, no, don't take that many. You need to take a little less. You know, not that many, just a little more or less. Not that many, just a little less. And, and he got down to about like 100 people and they were fighting about thousands. And everybody was wondering, well, how are we going to win this battle? When they have thousands upon thousands, the Bible says that they will as the sand of the sea. And God told Gideon that the battle was not going to be for you. The battle was not yours, but it's the Lord's. And we know that God's mighty works and how he works in our lives is that we don't get the glory. And, and you know, it's funny that God makes sure <laughs> he makes sure that we don't get the glory. <laughs> you got a hundred men going against thousands. <laughs> There's no way that you can take the glory. You know, sometimes when your bills are due, when you know you're just broke, busted, and disgusted, <laughs> and God continues to pay your bills, <laughs> you know it wasn't of you. Uh, you know when you've been praying for your children and God comes through and delivers, it's not of you. You see, a lot of times we... We think that everything has to be peaches and cream. We have to have all this money, and we have to have uh, everything in the right place at the right time. But you see, God wants the glory in our lives. And Isaiah was sharing with them is that, look, just like in Midian, when God got the glory, even though you guys are in doom and gloom, and you guys are going through these rough times, listen, there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, there's going to be joy that is going to be there. He says, for every battle the warriors is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. He, basically, he's telling them is this, is that, look, you're not going to go out in war and win this battle. Just like he was wrenching it there with the Midianites, they didn't go out and win that battle. God won that battle for them. And he was telling them that, look, you need to just roll up those things, your, your war shoes, and, and put away those things, those bloody robes. And, and you know, they'll be used, used for fire and be, to be burned because I'm going to do this thing. It's not going to be of you. It's going to be of me. And that's when we get into our text today. Four reasons to rejoice at Christmas. And this is the first reason. He says this, it's for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. We see here is that God was telling them that you're going to come out of this thing, not on your time, but in my time. You see, they didn't just come right out uh, after he told them this. It was years later. <laughs> and, you know, Christ wasn't even born yet. And he was giving them a, a, a prelude of what was to come. And he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He was saying unto us, he was talking about the children of Israel, but he's also talking to us also, uh, the world as a whole. He says that, he says this, and he says that in the kingdom, he says, excuse me, he says, unto uh, us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor. This Wonderful and Counselor here, they, uh, many theologians meet, um, say that these can be put together as Wonderful Counselor. 
Uh, we see it's broken up here as wonderful and as counselor. Uh, the wonderful thing about it is that is this is that one advises uh, a counselor is one that advises and counsels an expression of great wisdom. The only one who can direct the human race. Uh, Albert Barnes says this that for the Messiah was wonderful in all things. It was wonderful love by which God gave him and by which he came. The manner of his birth was wonderful. His humility, his self-denial, his sorrows were wonderful. His mighty works were wonderful. His dying agonies were wonderful. His resurrection, his ascension were all suited to excite admiration and wonder. Listen, he's our wonderful counselor. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Uh, the Bible says that he can counsel you. <laughs> he's a wonderful counselor. There's no one like our God in all the earth. Uh, Isaiah was trying to uh, tell these people is that, look, he's a wonderful counselor. Even though you're going through doom and gloom and, and things in your life, God is wonderful. He's a counselor. He's an advisor. The, 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 the proverb says that uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall what? Direct your paths. Because that's what a counselor does. He directs you in the right way. So we as Christians, we can rejoice that he's our wonderful counselor. Listen, you can listen to Dr. Phil all day long. <laughs> but he's not going to tell you what God is telling you. You know, you can, you can pull up Dr. Ike and all the rest of them. And, and they can't give you counsel like God can counsel you. I tell you, when you're going through these hard times in your life uh, and, and you seek God's face and, and God just gives you that peace and that assurance, whoo, what a wonderful thing that is to know that our God counsels us. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. The second thing is this, is that he's the mighty God. <laughs> we can rejoice because he's the mighty God. The mighty God, this word here, it means like a, a mighty hero, a mighty hero. The Messiah shall be called strength, the strength of God or a strong God, a divine hero in order by this name to remind the people of the strength of God. They were going through and Isaiah was telling them that, look, he, he's not only a wonderful counselor, but he's a mighty God. You might, they might have been thinking like, whoa, you know, we're getting taken over by the Assyrians and we're going into bondage. And eventually they went into bondage to the Babylonians. And they were thinking like, who can deliver us? No one can deliver us. Their armies are too great. They're too strong for us. And we, sometimes in our lives, we say, oh, the, the, the mortgage is due. <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a lawsuit against me. Oh, oh, they're ostracizing me at work. Oh, uh, I'm sick in my body. Do you know that he's a mighty God? There's no one like our God in all the earth. 
Listen, he created the moon, the sun, and the stars. Uh, uh, I went on his website, the Hubble Space Telescope, and, and you look out in the distance beyond what the eye can see, and there's all type of stargazers. There's black holes, and, and there's all type of planets that the naked eye cannot see. And, and man still, in his proudness, says, oh, yeah, you know, when evolution formed and the stars went bang and things flew all this way, there's no way that you can deny that he deny that he's a mighty God. Listen, there's, I've been delivered from some, from some things that I know it was the hand of God. I was in car accidents, <laughs> almost in the point of death. I've been through a lot. Of, many, many of you have been through things in your life, but you can say that he's a mighty God. There's nothing, listen to me, there's nothing, nothing that can hinder you from seeking the Lord your God. And there's nothing that can stop him in his mighty power and his acts. Listen, we, we come up with all type of uh, things. We have all this technology and they can monitor you. And they have these telescopes and these satellites. And, and I saw on Discovery Channel one time that the satellite went down and, it, and uh, it shined down in the streets of England. And it could see a penny that was on the ground. And you could read it from the telescope, I mean, from the satellite and, and, the, and the imaging that they had there. And all this technology that we have, we build buildings uh, that, you know, they say in Japan they have buildings that can uh, withstand, like, Category 5 uh, earthquakes. And, and, you know, the building just shakes like this up and down because it has springs in it. We, we drive around in these fancy cars, and, and, you know, the tires get a nail in it, and, and the tire don't even def <laughs> deflate, and it just keeps going. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we have all this technology and all these things. But let me tell you this. It's when those hurricanes come through. I don't see any technology that can stop that. When these tornadoes wishes around and wipes out buildings, I don't see anything that can stop that. When these earthquakes, when God amps it up <laughs> and these earthquake-proof buildings start to fall, <laughs> And you have these mudslides that whole buildings go down, and, and, and even in the animals. You know, the Bible mentions how uh, back in the day it's called Leviathan. Who can stop him, uh, this creature that God created? Uh, many say it was some type of dragon. Uh, you know, nothing could pierce the skin. And you look at alligators and, and the way that they're made. And, you know, and they say that you can't even pierce the skin of an alligator. His scales are so thick. And in all type of things that God had created and how God does or what he does, he's a mighty God. He's a mighty God. And God is so mighty that he was going to take this confusion and this mess that the children of Israel were in, and he was going to deliver them. <laughs> he was going to deliver them. You think about it, a whole nation. When you look at the history of time, many nations, when they go down, they go down. <laughs> They're not revived. The Roman Empire is done. You know, Cyrus the Great, he's not great anymore. You, you, all these <laughs> empires, they're done. But God is going to revive a nation of people. That's a mighty God. That's a mighty God. So we can have, we can rejoice that our God is a wonderful counselor, and he's a mighty God. Uh, 
Isaiah 10, 21 says, The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, until the mighty God. God had a plan, and God was orchestrating his plan and working through it. And not only was he wonderful, a wonderful counselor, not only is he a mighty God, but the Bible also says this, that he's an everlasting father. <laughs> he's an everlasting father, a father of eternity. Psalm 1016 says, the Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. You see, God is an everlasting father. You know, our fathers come and our fathers go. <laughs> you know, they're going to hit the grave one day. You know, and we are coming up as fathers. We're going to come and we're going to go. But you know, our God is an everlasting father. He, he didn't come. He was already there. He existed before the beginning of time. Our God is not going anywhere. Uh, many uh, skeptics can say what they want. They can out-talk you and out-speak you with, and, and give all this proof of, of there's no God and all of that. But in the end, my Bible tells me that every knee is going to bow one day and every tongue is going to confess. In the end, you're going to stand before two judgments, the white throne or the judgment seat of Christ. And those who stand in that white throne judgment is not going to have an excuse. Because when they had a chance to know this everlasting father and they rejected him, this everlasting father is going to see them in the end. This everlasting father, Isaiah was giving it, telling the people, was that, look, God is everlasting. He's forever he, he'll be there for you, for you in the beginning and in the end of your life. And after your life is over here on earth, God is everlasting, meaning that he can do so much more than you and I. There's no stopping this God. The Bible says that he's the alpha and he's the omega, our beginning and our end. He's everlasting. The Bible says from generation to generation, our God. Our God, he's everlasting. And we can rejoice in that. It's because he's everlasting. The fourth thing is this, is that not only is he wonderful, not only is he a mighty God, not only is he's ever everlasting father, but it says here is that he's the prince of peace. <laughs> My Lord, the prince of peace. The one who will bring in and maintain the time of the millennial peace. Isaiah 26.3 says that thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Peace, peace, peace is what the world says. They have peace treaties that are broken <laughs> right after they're made. <laughs> you look over in Israel right now and they're talking about, oh, we're, we're getting a peace treaty together. And, you know, we're going to stop these rockets from flying and, and you know, stop people from getting killed. And didn't they just say that like a year ago and then a year ago before that and a year ago before that and before that and before that? <laughs> you see, there's going to be no peace on this earth until the prince of peace put his foot here. The world, uh, our Congress, our government, where they talk about peace and, and all this, how we're going to incorporate peace here and, and we're going to incorporate this and that. But let me tell you that only the Prince of Peace can bring peace. Yes, 
There's many people uh, today who are stressed out and they're struggling and, and they say, oh, if I can just do my yoga, I just got to put my feet in the right place and, and my ankles in the right place and my head in the right place. And, and they sit there and do all this and they say, oh, I can have inner peace. <laughs> it's funny, I tell you the story. This lady I used to work with, she <laughs> claimed that she did yoga and she had peace. You know, every morning she would sit here and meditate and do her yoga, and she had peace while she was at work. And, and one time uh, something went out of whack, and she flipped out. <laughs> ah, I can't believe this. And she's cursing and going. I said, oh, oh, did you do your yoga this morning? <laughs> you see, life happens. <laughs> life happens. <laughs> and what you're depending on <laughs> to give you peace, <laughs> it's got to hold you. <laughs> and if you're not depending on the Prince of Peace, let me tell you, <laughs> there's going to be no peace. <laughs> he says there, is that he, he was the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Do you know that sometimes when we get out of whack and out of sorts and, and we can't think straight, we can't walk straight and and we're just so out of it, and we're just so stressed out, we don't have peace about anything. And I, I just read Isaiah, he says that, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. You see, they, the thing is, is that sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And you pay far more the price that you intended to pay. The children of Israel thought that they were going to have peace and safety when they, they were depending on their riches. They were depending on their great military. They were depending on uh, the walls that were built. They were depending on the safety of, of, of their council, of what they had there. And when the floor came out from under them, they realized that, whoa, you know, we're serving Baal. We're serving all these other gods. We're walking away from the Lord, our God. You know, our military has crumbled. Our government is, is corrupt. The northern kingdom is, has fallen. The southern kingdom is about to fall. We have kings uh, outside the territories, King Sennacherib and, and all these other Assyrian uh, kings who are more stronger than we, they were fretting. They were fretting. They didn't have peace. Isaiah was coming and telling them these prophecies of what was going to happen. Do you think they wanted to hear what Isaiah had to say? They were like, get that out of here. You know, let us just enjoy our time right now. You know, I, I, I think about when we were voting in a president uh, last time and somebody said, I don't care who's in the presidency. I, just as long as I can make my money and as long as I can, uh, you know, keep my cars and, and, and get my finances together, I'm, I don't care who's in the government. And a lot of people think that way. I, I don't care what they're doing. All I care about is me, about mine, about what I have, about what I'm going to get. And you see, that's the attitude that Israel had. They were the chosen people of God, but that's the attitude that they took on. Is that, oh, I'm going to do this thing my way. You ever been there where you, you, you thought you were doing something 
and, and you were thought you were leading your life and, and you were living your life and, and then things fell apart and, and you, you feel like, whoa, you know, man, I, I just can't sleep at night. You know, but my friend one time, he, he said when the stock market crashed, he, he, he lost about like $80,000 <laughs> just like that, gone. And I was like, y'all right? He goes, man, I can't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even think straight. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. He goes, man, I, I don't know what to do. And, you know, when that stock market crashed, they said people were killing themselves and, and, and people were just stressed out. And, you know, the guy killed his family. And, and I mean, it was terrible. And, and, you know, because they were depending on, depending on something that had no value. <laughs> Let me say that again. They were depending on something that had no value. With the human eye, $80,000 sounds good. <laughs> but in the spiritual realm, that's nothing. The Bible says my God owns a cattle upon a thousand hills. God owns this earth. He's owned everything in it. Because right? I told you before, there's none like our God. We can't, as children of God, depend on our wealth. You can't depend on our health. I was just reading the scripture. It says, when my heart and, when my heart and, my, and my, uh, my body fail me, he said, I, I seek God. You see, you can't depend on anything in this world. This world is, is nothing but a bunch of damaged goods. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The hymn writer said, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's on Christ the solid rock I stand. Because what? All other ground is sinking sand. Listen, the children of Israel put their hope in something other than God. And eventually, they had no peace. <laughs> it's funny, Isaiah said, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, stayed on thee. This world and all that it has to offer <laughs> can't be compared to what God offers you. You say, I mean, these, these eyes of ours, <laughs> you know, the Bible says that, you know, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when these things get a hold of you, and especially here in America, you know, we got all that and some. You have people in other countries who, who are just trying to find a meal to eat every day. And what do we have? We got Doritos and Cheetos and Skittles and, and all type of taquitos and Everything you can, I can't even name all the snacks that we have here. And these people are looking for meals, something to just fill their stomachs. You see, in Israel, they, they had it like that. They had it like that. The Bible says they were rich. I mean, that the nation was wealthy. Solomon had built, had built great temples and had great wealth, and, and they were depending upon their wealth their health, they were depending upon their security in man. But the Bible says, trust not in horses and chariots, meaning that don't trust in the ability of other things. Trust in the Lord your God because he's a prince of peace. He's a prince of peace. And he says that he's the prince of peace. Of his increase, 
of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. See, God was allowing them to say that, look, he was telling them is that, look, this Messiah is coming. You shouldn't, this Messiah is coming. He's going to be the deliverer of this nation. He's going to have the government upon his shoulders because it's going to be of his government. And that he, you see, these governments are wicked. Uh, God speaks uh, a lot in the, in the Bible about uh, the governments of the world because the governments are the ones who suppress the people. It's not one man. It's the governments. And they have a great responsibility uh, that God has given them is that they're supposed to do right by the people. They're not supposed to do wrong by the people. They're supposed to do right by the people. And these governments back then, they were doing wrong by the people. The prophets were crooked. The preachers were crooked. Uh, the, the, the king was crooked. Everything was crooked back then. Even when Jesus came on the scene and he kicked them out of the temple, they were crooked. They, was, uh, they were uh, uh, ripping people off in the temple. And you saw how Jesus reacted to that. And that's why the Bible says, woe unto the king. Woe unto the governments. You know, they, they have a greater judgment. You know, we the people, they, they have a greater judgment than we. And God's going to judge them because they're in control of so much. And they're supposed to do right. But Jesus, but the Bible says this, is that the increase of his government and peace there shall be. When he comes to rule, there's going to be true peace. Not the peace that we think and we see. It's going to be true peace. And he says that judgment, he's going to establish judgment and justice, even hence now, even forever. And this is the thing he says here is that, I like this. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. <laughs> the word used here in zeal it denotes ardor, intense desire in accomplishing an object. And it means that the establishment of this kingdom was an object of intense and ardent desire on the part of Yahweh. It is also implied that nothing else than the zeal of Yahweh could do it. Nothing else. You see, we have a, we have a zeal for a lot of different things. We have a zeal to start our own business. We have a zeal... Uh, you know, for sports, you know, they, they say, oh, you know, when Ray, when Ray Lewis was, you know, getting the huddle and he was getting, oh, let's go, we're going to do this. And everybody said the zeal would rub off on other people and they like, yeah, you know, let's go Ravens, you know, and, and, and we have the zeal. Uh, to do all these different things. And, and, you know, sometimes when, you know, when you get out there and you're like, oh, my foot hurts, <laughs> you know, that zeal goes away. <laughs> you know, oh, my back, oh, <laughs> That zeal goes away. Oh, I, I made a mistake. Oh, that, that's, that, that business move ain't going to happen there. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and you think about it like, oh, your zeal only can go but so far. But you're talking about a wonderful <laughs> counselor. You're talking about a, a mighty God. You're talking about an everlasting father. You're talking about a prince of peace. And the Bible says that his zeal. When he goes forward to do something, nothing can stop him. Amen. Nothing can stop him. Amen. His zeal is a fire that you've never seen. The Bible says that he's going to perform this. 
if you look over in the New Testament, you find that it was true. He did what he said. Uh, the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. God said what he was going to do, and he performed it. We read here in chapter 7, uh, verse 14, it says that, chapter 7, verse 14, I mean, verse uh, 14, it says that, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a son. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we look over in the book of Luke, and we find that Mary, who was a spouse to Joseph, she found that one day that when the Holy Ghost came upon her and she says, woe unto me that God had put this seed in this womb of Mary and Mary. The Bible says that she conceived. Listen, if this was years before that Isaiah has said that this was going to happen. And here it is. You fast forward into Luke and it happened. Why? It's because it's the zeal of the Lord. And God has promised some things to you and to me. And his zeal will perform it. God says, look, you don't have to be stressed out this time of year. You can rejoice in the fact of knowing that he, our God, is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. What more do you need this time of year is to know that this God is all of that and some. And the thing about it is that he's going to perform and do what he said he was going to do. <laughs> Glory be to God. <laughs> Glory be to God. He's an awesome God. An awesome God. And these children of Israel, they eventually... Those there who they, those who were there, they did die. <laughs> they didn't see it happen. <laughs> but the nation as a whole, as it continued, they saw it happen. They saw it happen. They saw the zeal of the Lord perform this thing. And we as Christians, we should be ashamed of ourselves at times when we say that this time of year, it, it stresses us out. It, it, this is not what we what it's supposed to be, and we get it all down and out. And we try to think about, oh, we'll get a present for this person, a present for that person. And, and don't worry yourself about all that. It'll work out. If you don't get Uncle John or his <laughs> gift, it's going to be okay. <laughs> if the kids don't get uh, something that they don't even need, it's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, but what we got to focus on is this, <laughs> is that our God, He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. There's none like him in all the earth. And God performed his great work in bringing his son into this world to save us from our sins. Listen, it wasn't, this wasn't just for the nation of Israel, but this is for the whole world. The, Bible, uh, this one, the one song says, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. <laughs> he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Listen, he, if he did not come into this world, we would be in doom and gloom. We would be done. That's it for us. But God, the Bible says that he came in the form of man. That, that's a miracle how God would come down to us. Normally, the servant comes to the king. 
But the king came down to us. The king came down to us in the form of a servant to serve us. He came to serve us. He came to deliver us. Genesis 3.15 was a prophecy in itself in telling us that the, uh, the woman's seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent seed, and the serpent seed is going to bruise the, the heel of the woman's. Way back then, God had a plan in the beginning of time. Listen, even while he was on the cross, guess what? You and I were on his mind. Isn't that wonderful to think that our God thinks about us that much? The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. This joy uh, that we have, God wanted to extend it to the whole world. The whole world. But it's sad to say that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So as we come into this Advent season, and we as Christians, we have to remember the four things is that he's a wonderful counselor. <laughs> he's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father, and he's a prince of peace. That should take you into the new year. <laughs> that should take you into the new year. <laughs> prince of peace. And, and to top it off, the zeal of the Lord is going to perform these things. The zeal of the Lord is going to perform these things. As we stand to our feet.